I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to the RAIN Insights Podcast from RAIN Network. In this episode, David Lawrence, co-founder of RAIN, speaks with Colin Ahern about cybersecurity efforts for New York State. Colin is an internationally recognized cybersecurity, resilience, and intelligence expert. He was appointed the first chief cyber officer of the state of New York in June of 2022. As chief cyber officer, he oversees all cyber threat assessment, mitigation, and response efforts, and leads cross-agency efforts to protect New York State from cyber threats. Colin, uh, it is always great to have a conversation with a longtime colleague and friend and uh, leader in the area of cybersecurity, cyber awareness, uh, and what I'll refer to as a plain speaker. Um, And obviously it was a great privilege to work with you when you were one of the heads of Cyber Command in New York City and now in your current position leading the efforts for New York State. So uh, welcome and thanks in advance. Thanks for having me. Colin, uh, let me begin uh, with a basic uh, question, um, which is uh, New York is sort of so important to the national economy, uh, its infrastructure, connects uh, with so many disparate and important worlds, uh, including the world of finance. And uh, as you've ascended to lead the effort for New York State, uh, I know uh, under your sort of uh, penumbra of responsibility is everything from the electrical grid uh, to, you know, the basic infrastructures of the various cities uh, within uh, New York State, the, uh, the transportation hubs, uh, the various systems that operate under New York State, um, and maybe also uh, no less significantly because we've spoken about this, are such basic services as a supply of water. And in this connected world, there's a lot to be worried about. There have been successful attacks on you know, the infrastructure of other states and cities. And maybe a good place to begin is uh, to define your role and uh, the mandate and, you know, basically what is the objective of the cybersecurity efforts for New York State? Of course. Um, Yeah, so I'm the first chief cyber officer. Uh, I was appointed by Governor Hochul in June of last year. And there are really five key areas of responsibility. One is the cybersecurity and cyber resilience of government networks. As you mentioned, you know, there are a number of agencies and authorities that report to the governor, you know, from the New York Power Authority, um, the Office of Information Technology Services, the New York State Police, the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. Uh, and there's all, you know, s- computers, technology systems, you know, by, with, and through services are delivered to citizens, to businesses, and to visitors. So number one, ensuring that major incidents are appropriately handled and communicated uh, to resolution, that core cybersecurity and cyber resilience controls continue to advance. Uh, as the governor has shown, you know, in her proposed executive budget, 
uh, which we, you know, as we're recording this is not yet enacted, but will be very soon, we believe, uh, continuing to advance cybersecurity and cyber resilience for state managed networks and leading the interagency process uh, to drive those outcomes for the governor. So that's one. Two, as you mentioned, the state provides cybersecurity services. For the most part, by, with, and through the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services, which for counties and local governments and select critical infrastructure providers across the state, things like cybersecurity assessments, information sharing, operational collaboration, and others. The most important of those services, we believe, was actually started by the governor two days before the Russian invasion of the Ukraine last year. And that is to um, you know, increase operational collaboration and information sharing via the Joint Security Operations Center, uh, the primary location of which is in Brooklyn, uh, and a facility that is hosted by New York City. Uh, second, uh, we announced in July of last year a program by which the state pays for and deploys and monitors on the behalf of counties and select local governments endpoint detection and response software, which is a very important security control. Uh, and we've had great success uh, advancing that program, tens of thousands of government computers uh, across the state in you know, more than 40 counties. So an incredibly successful program in, in a very short time. That's not the only service we provide, obviously. There are other services, such as those via the New York State Intelligence Center, uh, which is a multi-hazard information sharing, counter-terror, counter-intel, counter-cyber uh, joint task force. Uh, you know, a number of federal, state, and local partners uh, participate in that. Uh, there are obviously others as well, but those are just a couple. Third is regulation. The state is a regulator. You mentioned finance. Obviously, the New York State Department of Financial Services is in the process of updating its cybersecurity regulations. Uh, so assisting the department in ensuring that those regulations are continued to be value-added, outcome-oriented, uh, and modern uh, is important to the governor and is, is one of the, the things that, that I directly assist with. Other legislative matters and policy matters for example, in December of last year, the governor signed a piece of legislation giving our Public Service Commission the ability to prescriptively regulate cybersecurity for energy distributors. So right now, New York State is the only state that can prescriptively regulate for cyber energy distributors. Uh, and for those that are unfamiliar, energy generation is regulated in large part for cyber by the federal government. Energy transmission you know, for cyber is mostly regulated by the federal government, but energy distribution is, other than in New York State, for cyber, not really regulated by anyone. Uh, so that's a nation-leading effort that uh, the governor has undertaken. Uh, number four is communication. The state provides guidance to a variety of stakeholders, to businesses. You know, it is. it was just tax season, so... Uh, myself and the state's new chief privacy officer with the Department of Tax uh, distributed guidance so that people could know what are the common tax fraud scams that are we're seeing in the uh, in the ecosystem uh, this tax year. Uh, there are also curriculum development efforts uh, with the state university system. New Chancellor Chancellor King uh, has been leading those efforts as well. Uh, so myriad efforts to ensure that visitors and businesses 
and citizens have guidance so that they can lead safer lives online. And really underpinning all of those efforts is economic and workforce development. Obviously, the workforce development, both the state civil service workforce, the governor continues to advance the cyber workforce within the state, within the agencies uh, that she directly controls. But also more broadly, uh, we announced a, few, a couple months ago with Mayor Adams in New York, an apprenticeship program between the State University of New York system and the City University of New York system to fund cyber and technology apprenticeships at companies in the five boroughs. Uh, and efforts like this you know, continue to advance that ecosystem. Obviously, New York has a special place in a number of fronts. The mo couple of things I would touch on as we continue our discussion would be Micron's historic $100 billion investment in a semiconductor manufacturing facility outside of Syracuse. Significant effort from multiple state agencies. Obviously, you know, as that effort goes underway, the cyber resilience and cybersecurity of the services that that facility depends on will continue to be a focus. And then two, there's an AI, quantum, and semiconductor research facility that actually President Biden and the governor announced in October of last year outside of Poughkeepsie uh, via IBM. And as we, uh, we were chatting even before the show, David, AI and generative AI and these other topics you know, stand to be incredibly relevant, and New York continues to lead in that front as well. So Colin, uh, obviously a very uh, broad mandate, and um, in particular, uh, you used the term resiliency, not just cybersecurity, but cyber resiliency. And um, it would be great if we could understand um, sort of your approach to ensuring resiliency, because it's now, I think, a, a reasonable, reasonably accepted fact that um, an attack is not a if matter, it's just when and what the consequences might be. And as we've seen across um, the spectrum and increasing attacks by nation states, uh, actors acting on behalf or with the assistance of nation states, as well as non-state actors, uh, these attacks for a wide variety of reasons are increasing and they're increasing in their sophistication. Uh, so maybe you can give a, a, a sense uh, to the audience uh, about how New York State is approaching the concept of cyber resiliency. Absolutely, um, and I think I'd start with a couple of a couple of observations. You know, one, as you mentioned, cyber resilience is increasingly, um, you know, a term a, a term of art, uh, and like you said, it kind of fits in right in with if your listeners have heard of the zero trust framework zero trust network architecture, and more broadly, the idea that um, compromise of any one system isn't just probable, it is in some cases inevitable. So our approach should be to, as you know, we develop systems and processes and technology, take a, you know, services, what are the services that, because the government really is a service provider, what are the services that our citizens and our businesses and our visitors depend on? And how are they provided? And how might we provide them should a failure occur? Now, irrespective of whether that failure is as because of you know, intentional or unintentional error or you know, attack or you know, deliberate tampering with a system, you know, we've, in our, because of the nature and increasing complexity of these systems that deliver these services, some failure is inevitable. And so uh, that's kind of maybe just a preamble or, or a scene setter for us. 
Uh, and really, there's organizationally a set of activities that, you know, as a leader, we're looking to promulgate throughout the agency and really the critical infrastructure providers, which are for the most part privately owned. Uh, and that is, again, one in which operational collaboration and information sharing continues to advance. And really, we want to be asking ourselves a set of questions and allowing executives at organizations providing those services uh, to arrive at good risk-based outcome decisions and capabilities within their own organizations. Things like, for example, number one, capacity planning. What is the capacity that I need to provide for my critical services on three kinds of days? One, a blue sky day when everything's great. Two, a gray sky day when things are not so great, but it's not catastrophic, and three, on a, on a, on a so-called black sky day, when significant, the organization and its systems are under significant duress. And so as we kind of go from blue to gray skies and even beyond, asking ourselves what truly is essential from our services and what of the services that are essential, how are those systems provided, and what are the resilience or redundancies that we must obtain, and how must we you know, engage them in differing uh, stressful periods. And two is monitoring. How do we know uh, what's going on with our systems and how do we know how the demand characteristics, what our residents, what our citizens, what our visitors, what our businesses are expecting of us in these different scenarios. So we have kind of one broad topic of capacity planning, two, a second broad topic of monitoring or how we know about the world around us and about how events are actually transpiring. Uh, the state's very fortunate in that we have an extremely expert group called the Office of Emergency Management within the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services, which does multi-hazard interagency coordination for critical infrastructure for, with the federal government. And they use extremely well-tested, extremely effective systems like the National Incident Management Systems, the Incident Command Systems, and others um, you know, to ensure that that, uh, the, that information is appropriately passed and those incidents and events are handled. And then third is incident response. So how we know what we need, how we know what we know, and how we manage actual incidents. I think those three topics, like I said, form the basis of really the states, but I think many organizations' resilience postures. And when we get to technical resilience and computer systems, there's certainly a growing set of practices around business continuity planning and disaster response, using the cloud, you know, using other things. Uh, and obviously the state is actively exploring and has, has many capabilities in those areas already. Okay, I want to ask you a very uh, pragmatic question, which uh, you've described, I'll, I'll refer to it as a wide and broad menu of information and uh, services that are being provided uh, out of the governor's um, offices. Uh, where do people go to get smarter and to understand how to potentially connect uh, with the state's efforts around cybersecurity and resiliency? Yeah, great question. Uh, there's really three primary organizations. Um, one is the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. They have a the statewide cyber incident response team, uh, and we'll provide. You know, I'll send a link to the team, and we can put that up 
uh, in the show notes, obviously. And the Cyber Incident Response Team provides education, training, awareness, and obviously incident response services for government entities and, and certain critical infrastructure sectors around the state as provided by law. Uh, so that's one place. Two, the New York State Police, New York State Intelligence Center. Uh, they have an organization called the Cyber Analysis Unit. In addition to the Computer Crimes Unit uh, and the Internet Crimes Against Children Center, uh, both of which are very important organizations, uh, have guidance and tips and you know ways to see something, say something in a variety of programs kind of under that umbrella. And the third is the Office of Information Technology Services, the state's central IT provider, has an office of the chief information security officer, which has a number of you know, outward-facing guidance documents, communications. You know, if, for example, they run the states uh, every year in October, they do a, a poster contest for K through 12 schools. Uh, we actually, New York State, uh, we were just informed uh, was one of 10 national winners, Isaac, uh, who's a second grader. Um, you know, so other things like that, engaging the populace, uh, things of that nature. Uh, I want to um, ask about um, the collaborative efforts um, that you've been involved with and, quite frankly, have led uh, to coordinate with other states, to coordinate with the federal government, to coordinate with the private sector. And sort of what you're attempting to do and uh, what you've learned along the way uh, about the current threat environment. I think number one we're learning is convergence. I think the word of the year is convergence. It used to be that we saw in broad strokes three different, three kind of categories of threats, uh, basically in order of sophistication. We saw hacktivists, or individual and small groups of people who are ideologically or politically motivated, right? Website defacement, simple denial of service attacks, et cetera. So hacktivists would be kind of one category. Two, we saw cyber criminals. Obviously, ransomware and other destructive malware, um, you know, et cetera. And three, we saw nation states. Highly sophisticated, highly targeted, politically, economically, intelligence, et cetera. However, now, and that's kind of historically, how now what we're really seeing is a, a converged set of threats. We see some nation states, for example, as was widely reported by the FBI, the North Korean government is now engaging in financial cyber crime. Also, we have you know, cyber criminals acting in some cases on behalf or on, at the behest of foreign governments, certain of the ransomware operators you know, throughout the cyber criminal ecosystem. And also we see, in particular since 2016 uh, and since then, individually motivated, political, you know, politically motivated individuals are in fact actually, you know, troll farms, the Internet Research Agency, uh, not in fact individuals, but are really part of concerted influence, misinformation, disinformation, propaganda campaigns, etc. So what the word I think of the recent past is, less on the three different groups being, you know, some connection but really separate. Now, both from a capability but also an intent perspective, a real convergence along, you know, the sophistication of, of really the groups individually approaches that of nation states. Uh, as in particular the cyber criminal underground, uh, it's a very specialized economy with very smart people working very hard to make money. 
Uh, so economic incentives being what they are, we've seen the sophistication increase. And we've seen nation states take the tools of, of hacktivists in order to further their own ends. Uh, so I think that's really what we've, you know, what we've seen in the ecosystem recently. And as you think about um, protecting New York State, New York City, the broad infrastructures, now the question I always like to ask is, uh, and I know you sleep well, Colin, okay, so, but what does occasionally keep you up at night? And uh, in terms of what I'll refer to as uh, some of the priorities of concerns, uh, what's really top of mind? Yeah, I have two kids, uh, two little kids. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, so my sleep is occasionally interrupted by uh, matters not of cyber import. Um, well, let me, let me just interject an editorial comment as uh, someone who's older than I told me when I was complaining about the, my young kid, then young kids keeping me up at night. He advised me, at least you know where they are. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's, okay, that's but go point. ahead, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, good organizations do routine things routinely. And I think they're about two things in terms of, you know, matters of concern. One is ensuring that the basic practices are widely deployed and closely monitored, you know. Uh, so that's kind of one, I think, recurring and perennial topic is routine things routinely. And two is making sure that we're investing in the right people, the right processes, and the right technology so that as new things and new tools from the adversary side become routine, we can respond in kind with defensive or ideally preventive measures uh, to compensate. So I would say those are, I think, two obviously broad topics. And I think in particular, global tensions being what they are, a concerning rise in, you know, Obviously, Europe and in Asia, you know, two hotspots that New York is really central to the United States economy, for sure, and our close relationship with the U.S. and, and her allies. Uh, so that's a concern as geopolitical tensions, you know, as the situation deteriorates, you know, broadly speaking. Uh, I would also say that uh, political division in the United States, obviously our adversaries want the United States divided. Uh, so I think political division more broadly. I think cyber is, in fact, one of the areas in which there is broad bipartisan consensus uh, about not just the issue, but in, in, large, in large measure what the measures should be to ameliorate them, which is great. Um, you know, I have regular and ongoing communications with, you know, many of the members of the New York delegation, Republican and Democrat. Uh, so it's, it's heartening to see that in particular on cyber, political division uh, is not, you know, is not is not really the issue you you see in some of the other cases. But increasing political division in the United States is obviously always a concern for public servants. Um, yeah. And uh, it's interesting uh, when people think about um, cyber security. And I was recently on. Um, reviewing a document that had been forwarded to me from uh, MITRE, uh, just in terms of the range of threats and uh, the types of uh, steps that can be taken in mitigation and an emphasis on reporting everything from, you know, ransomware situations to data corruption to 
you know, basically uh, theft of IP. Uh, what most people, Colin, don't think about as being related to cyber, uh, security and cyber resiliency, uh, is uh, the area of disinformation and the ability to basically disrupt um, public agencies, private sector companies, the political landscape uh, by disseminating information uh, that looks legitimate, that one assumes is real, and the impact that that can have on uh, what I'll refer to as the ability to govern, whether it's on the national level or the state or local level. And I'm just curious, uh, your thinking around that and whether you view that as also part of the broad concerns around cybersecurity because increasingly, of course, this is how uh, communications are conducted and people are receiving information and the ability to understand what is real and what is not and what is, you know, potentially designed to misdirect and misinform. Yeah, short answer, yes, long answer, definitely. Uh, and, you know, the 20 or so years I've been in the business, uh, you know, we've gone from, you know, probably easy, relatively straightforward to understand Compromat, you know, with a K campaigns, you know, as kind of a historical anachronism by the Soviet intelligence and later the Russian intelligence services to now widespread AI, you know, artificial intelligence generated extremely hard to detect for even the most careful of observers images. I'm sure your listeners have seen the myriad, some of them very funny images of, you know, the Pope and the puffy coat, etc. Yeah, the Pope was in a puffy coat and Donald Trump was lifting weights right. in prison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and by the way, uh, just as a, uh, a bit of a, uh, a preview for our listeners, we will be doing a very significant webinar on deep fake technology, which is the AI behind the creation of uh, visuals and uh, sound uh, that looks and talks and walks authentically, when in fact it's not. Uh, but anyway, sorry for the interruption, Colin. No, of course. Um, yeah, so that's really the scope scale and really velocity of the misinformation, disinformation and malinformation which I think you hear this kind of MDM uh, as one of the newer acronyms to, David, really capture what you're talking about. Uh, really, a couple of events that highlight for me the concern and the need for continued vigilance. Uh, some of your listeners are probably familiar with um, you know, secret Chinese uh, prisons. There was a, a couple of folks who were arrested last month uh, by members of the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York. Uh, and so this issue more broadly is related to this, you know, misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation with transnational authoritarianism. Uh, and, you know, the desire of authoritarian governments to extend their information environment, the highly restricted, highly curated in information environment, to really anywhere. Uh, so, you know, I personally, I applaud the efforts of the NYPD, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, uh, to address those issues in New York, uh, but more broadly, I expect that that's just the tip of the iceberg, and we're going to see more of these efforts that use, you know, traditional intelligence and covert operation methodologies, traditional intelligence collection with misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, in order to further these transnational authoritarian ends. So I think it's it is a concern, 
And I think, unfortunately, we've just seen the beginning of it. And just to, and maybe I should, we should have started on this, you and I have had many conversations um, in attempting to simplify the theme of cybersecurity and cyber threats and cyber resiliency. And so maybe in the remaining minutes, I'll have you um, just sort of elaborate on, uh, on the following. And that is, um, th these are, while technology is involved uh, in many respects, overall, this is not a technology problem. Uh, the threats uh, uh, involve very well known, and I, I, I like to say it goes back to biblical times, Colin, um, the types of crimes that are being committed um, through our digital networks, but it is about everything from theft to bribery to extortion uh, to the, I'll use the term, ransoming or kidnapping of, uh, of, of information to espionage to propaganda efforts to, you know, acts of destruction and uh, sabotage, etc. But these are all crimes that have existed since the beginning of time. And the actors, you know, at least generically, are, you know, sometimes they're individuals, sometimes they're quasi-organized, sometimes organized crime groups, but also state sponsors and uh, actors acting with the support of state sponsors. Um, and what has really changed, and I know is, you know, one of the great challenges to your position is that the people who and groups that are performing these acts now can act with unprecedented speed, with unprecedented anonymity, uh, with unprecedented low costs and low barriers of entry for the technology needed. So I think we need to mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in our minds have that the internet is a dangerous place. Like we talked about earlier in the program, you know, with the resiliency topic being what it is, the assumed compromise, really the fundamentals of that is that you know, for a long time, the physical world provided risk management, really provided, you know, certain kinds of, made certain things harder. Whereas now, with technology, it's extremely straightforward for our adversaries to improperly gain access to a system, to get information, to, you know, implant a piece of software to maybe attack it at a later date. So the basics... Um, of computer hygiene, of so you know, so-called you know, cybersecurity hygiene, uh, are even more relevant today than they ever were, and I think, unfortunately, will continue to be relevant. Uh, and the basics are things like multi-factor authentication, installing security software on devices, etc. Uh, but really, the, the the basis of that is because our adversaries are able to access those things remotely without going through all the trouble of, not that they also don't go through the trouble of, of traditional intelligence collection and, and other activities, they absolutely do. But the ease with which you can do these things in the, on the internet, really, um, I think that is in many ways the basis for, for, your, for your question, which I think is a good one. Colin, I want to thank you, uh, not just for your time, but obviously for your service. And uh, for a conversation, hopefully we can continue. And, um, you know, perhaps in part two, 
um, we'll delve even more deeply into some of the efforts undertaken by uh, the governor in your office uh, to protect the state and uh, greatly appreciate you sending the links to us which we'll post uh, alongside uh, this podcast uh, so people can learn more and hopefully have the tools that they they need. Uh, As always, uh, we're available to you to help you as well. So thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks, David. This is the Rain Insights podcast, which is part of the Rain Insights series, comprised of both virtual and real-world events, offering unique practical perspectives from Rain's leading experts in risk management. To learn more, please visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. Thanks for listening.